Amen. God's Word, the Bible tells us, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Will you pray with me? Oh, Father, we, uh, we need you. And God, it's, it's quite easy to, to talk the talk. But Lord, it can be very difficult to walk it out. And so, God, by your Spirit, will you strengthen us this morning? Would you feed us by your Word from heaven? Or would we hear from you? Not from man, but that we would hear from you. That you would call wayward souls to yourself. And that you would strengthen the saints for troubled days ahead. Every good thing is from you. Will you be merciful again? It's who you are, Lord. It's who you are, God of mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you open your Bible this morning to Psalm 4, the fourth Psalm. And as you turn there, you'll see again that we have another superscription. That's the line of information before uh, verse 1. And maybe out to the right-hand side or spaced in between the verses, you again see that word salah. We talked about both of those a little bit last week, so um, we won't go over that again in detail, but that word salah is transliterated. It has about four different pronunciations. And if you missed the word salah or if you missed about superscriptions, you can listen last to last week's sermon. I encourage you to do that. This is God's sufficient word for us. It contains all that we need to lead us to salvation and to a godly life. Psalm 4, read with me the superscription and then we'll begin in verse 1. For the choir director on stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me. And hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Salah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your hearts upon your bed and be still. Salah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when the grain and new wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. May God bless reading and the hearing of his word you'll see there in that superscription the choir director or maybe 
your translation says the chief musician or the, the choir master, the director of music. It's really the, the minister of worship, if you will. He was the uh, custodian of those sacred psalms and he oversaw the songs that was in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. We see here too that this psalm was on a stringed instrument. I believe the King James Version says the Medjineth. The Medjineth is a stringed instrument, like a harp or like a, a lyre. But as we just read that psalm, you could hear the distress in David's voice. What a blessing that is that, that David could turn this distressing experience that we're going to look at this morning, that he could turn that experience into a song to the glory of God. And really what that does is that shows us as our example what our response should be in the times of crisis. So look at verse 1 with me. This psalm here, it begins with a, with a cry of distress. David is under great pressure. There's great pressure in our own day, though, isn't there? And so we need this encouragement that we'll find here in the Word of God. Verse 1. Answer me when I call. O God of my righteousness, you have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer hear my prayer lord respond to me lord david expects god to hear him doesn't he do you do you believe that god hears your prayer do you really believe that he says god of my righteousness he's saying god you are the author God, you're the witness. God, you're the maintainer. God, you're the judge. God, you're the rewarder. God, you're the giver of my righteousness. He's saying, Lord, I bring my case before you. I'm not taking my case before the petty courts of human opinion. But David is taking his case to the supreme court, the judge of the universe. My righteousness. Oh, God of my righteousness. God has given David righteousness. God vindicates David when he is being falsely accused. When, when David is enduring these false attacks. When David's being slandered. And that's true for us today. God sees. God sees. Whenever your righteousness is, is not seen, whenever you're not acknowledged, whenever others don't see the godly life that you are living, oh, we don't despair. We don't look for, for man's fame. Dearly beloved of God, God in heaven knows. Did you hear me? God knows. He sees you, and he knows. For some of us, that brings us great encouragement. God knows. God sees I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to explain myself. God knows. And for others, that's a little frightening. God knows. He knows who I am. He knows the life that I'm living. And so which one are you this morning? What kind of life are you living? And not only did David's righteousness come from God, but God is righteous. God does what is best. God does all things right. He keeps his commitment to his people. God does what is right in all of his relationships. If you're God's child by faith in Christ Jesus, 
He hears your prayer. He hears your prayer. He really does. And so David, he's been praying for God's help. He's desperate to receive an answer. And David now reminds the Lord that the Lord had often delivered him in times past. And so now he's able to deliver him. Now look again at verse 1, the second line. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. Did you catch that? David is, he's pleading past mercies as a ground for present delivery. He's saying, you have delivered me before in my distress. God, you, you have done this before. God, you have rescued me. This is who you are. This is one of the ways we strengthen our own faith in our lives here. As we call to remembrance what God has done before. We get real busy, do we not? The next thing, the next appointment, the next accomplishment. So much to do, do, do. And how many times have we forgotten? God, you have answered this prayer. God, you have delivered me. Lord, you have provided for me. So many answered prayers we, we fail to, to go back and thank him for. Look at the second line. Look at the last word. He says, you have relieved me in my distress. Distress there, it means pressed into a corner. David's in a, a tight place. David's being harassed. He's, he's hemmed in. But he's strengthened by remembering what God has done for him in the past. He says, God, you have given me relief. Lord, this, isn't, this is nothing new for you. you. You've saved me time and time again. And so David, he looks back on the years and he recounts all the troubles that God has rescued him from. We need to do that in our own lives. You want your faith to be strengthened? Are you despairing? Then we go back and we recount and we, we go back. And we remember, we go back and we count our blessings as that old hymn says. That's a great way to strengthen your faith this morning. When, when the bottom just falls out, to look back and remember how God has been faithful to you. We forget that sometimes, don't we? All the answered prayers. All the ways that he has delivered us. All the times that he has been so faithful. Think of this, we eat around three meals a day and you begin to multiply that how many days are in a week and how many weeks in a month and month in a year and how many years you've been alive. Thousands, tens of thousands. So many meals he has given us. And we just move right on. But he has been so faithful to us we could go around the room this morning testifying to that god you have delivered me god you have provided god it looked like there was no way god there was no hope but god you came through again he's done it before and he will do it again god you are good and you're righteous in all your ways towards your people Oh, we serve a gracious and kind God. Look at line three there in verse one. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David knew that he did not deserve any help from God. He says, be gracious to me. 
Oh Lord, don't give me what I do deserve. Show me favor, Lord. Show me mercy, God. God, give me favorable treatment that is undeserved. I don't deserve it, God. God, I sure can't earn it. But in your sweet kindness, because of who you are, God, God, will you hear my prayer? David calls out to God, and then in verse 2, he calls out to men. David first pleads with God to answer his prayer, and then David pleads with others to repent. There's a whole lot of wisdom in that order, isn't there? We need to speak with God before we speak with others. So in verse 1, he speaks to God, and then in verse 2, he begins to speak with others. Our slide says, Charles Spurgeon famously said, surely we should all speak the more boldly to men if we had constant converse with God. He who dares to face his maker will not tremble before the sons of men. It's exactly what David did. Verse 1, he's, he's pleading to God. He's crying out to God. He's reminding God, you've delivered me before. And then he turns to speak to those who are oppressing him. So prayer should be our first response. And that was David's first response. He's strengthened by his prayer to God. After David spoke to God, he was ready to speak to men. So God's king, he not only prays, but God's king, he's a preacher. He calls people out. He's asking them how long. Just as King David was rejected, remember all the Psalms are pointing us to Jesus. King David was rejected and ultimately Christ here on earth was rejected. Read verse 2 with me. O sons of men. So he goes from speaking to God, now he's speaking to his oppressors. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? So David now, he turns to the people who are harassing him, those who are distressing him, and he asks them, how long will you disrespect me? How long will you love vain words, and how long will you seek after lies, and how long will you give worthless worship to false gods who cannot save? So remember verse 1, David, he goes from the closet of prayer, he's praying, and now he goes into the field of conflict. And he's rebuking his enemies, he's confronting them, he's asking them how much longer would they attack his honor. How long? They were determined to bring disgrace upon him. How long will they keep trying to turn his honor into shame? How long are you going to disrupt disrespect me and disrepresent me and mischaracterize me? Why do you keep slandering me with false accusations? Why are you trying to discredit the faithful? He's calling them out. But what should our response be when we're attacked this way? Of course, respond in truth is David. But how did Christ tell us to respond? Look at our slide in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. Jesus says this, Blessed are you, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And notice he says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Why? Because of me. 
not because you're a really difficult person, not because you're arrogant, not because you're asking for it. He says, but when they persecute you and insult you because of me, when you're living the Christian life, when you're being faithful to your Savior. And what are we to do? We're to rejoice and be glad. And brothers and sisters, we can't do that in the flesh. When you're being persecuted and maligned, you cannot say, you know what, I'm just going to rejoice about this. It's his spirit in us working that we can rejoice and be glad. Look at verse 2, line 2. He says, how long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? How long will you love what has no value? How long will you be infatuated with stuff that has no lasting worth? You keep going after emptiness? It's, it's as if you want to be fooled by sin's emptiness. Sin is lulling them to death. It's all worthless. Their false gods, their idols, even their way of life, it's worthless. That's what the wicked, that's what they do. They, they willfully shut their eyes. They delude themselves. And be sure of this. When you follow vain things, empty things, when you believe lies, when you believe falsehoods, the only place for you to go is astray. And that's what the people were doing. Going astray. Chasing after emptiness. The book of Hebrews tells us that sin deceives us and it hardens us. That's what sin does. It tricks us and it makes us callous and cold. Don't be fooled by sin. Do not have your heart covered in calluses where you're not tender to the things of God. Look at verse 3. But know, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. He says, know this. Be sure of this. Write it down, mark it down, stand on this. That the man that is set apart, what that means is the beloved of God, the one that God has set his love upon, the one that is not living for this world, that one. That one's God's. And when you begin to understand that, you'll have this boldness in you to serve God. When you're assured that God has called you to the work that he has set before you, God will equip you. That's true. I know it's a pithy little saying, but it's true. God really does equip those that he has called. What he calls you to, he will provide for you in that. And be sure of this, church. God does not forsake the work of his own hands. But he defends those who are his. He fights your battles. He defends you. God doesn't withhold help from you. If you're following the path that he has called you to, he will provide. Now be sure, his provisions are maybe not what we always think we want. It may even not be what we've imagined or hoped for. But he will provide and he knows what is best. The godly here, those are the faithful ones to God, those who are committed to him. God knows who are faithful to him, and he knows those who are not faithful to him. That's very sobering, to realize that God knows who are faithful to him. God knows who, who is loyal to him. And God also knows who, who is a traitor to him. Read verse 3 again. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself, the Lord hears 
when I call to him. He who chose us for himself will surely hear our prayers. God hears his children when they pray. Remember in verse 1, what's David? He's saying, hear my prayer, Lord. Hear me when I cry to you, Lord. Oh, would you hear me, Lord? And here in verse 3, what do we see? The Lord hears. Two verses later, he says, oh, Lord, you do hear me. Lord, you hear me. Sometimes we doubt that. Maybe that's the season you're in right now. Sometimes our communion with God is is so sweet. His presence is so felt. And then there's times where not only does it feel like our prayers bounce off the ceiling, but sometimes we feel like we can't even get the prayers out of our mouth. And then we begin to doubt, don't we? God, are you really listening? God, do you hear me? God, have you forgotten me? No, he's not forgotten you, child. God hears you when you pray. God hears the prayers of his children. Now David, he he knew that he would be safe. He knew that he would be relieved. He knew that he would be delivered because the Lord would remember him. The Lord would hear his plea. Oh, child of God, when you call upon God from a pure heart, have confidence that God hears you. And he will answer you according to his perfect will. We see these instructions now given by the psalmist in verse 4. Read this with me. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. How many live the opposite of that? The first line says tremble and do not sin, but... How many people sin and do not tremble? We don't see a lot of trembling today, do we? The word tremble can be translated fear. It's where we... And it can be translated even anger. The the root word is, is to quiver to quiver with any violent emotion, especially anger or fear. So that's where uh, Paul says, uh, be angry and sin not. It comes from the same root word. We read, serve the Lord with fear, back in Psalm 2, or worship him with reverence, to rejoice with trembling. There's that word again, trembling. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear God then you do not have to fear man. If you fear God, then you will love him and you will obey him and you will find that he is so sweet and so gentle and so long-suffering and so kind and so pleasant and so benevolent to his people. Look at line two there, verse four. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. It means search your own heart. It really is saying, speak to your own heart. Instead of worrying about what others are doing, take inventory of yourself. See if there's any sin in your own heart that needs to be confessed. Man, we're really good about picking out other people's sins, aren't we? Yeah. But what are we told here? Meditate in your own heart upon your own bed. Take a hard look at your own life. Oh, that we would 
hate sin in our own lives as much as we hate sin in other people's lives who sin differently than we do. We're really quick to pick out some sins we hate. Of other people, of course. But have we searched our own hearts? And as we search our own hearts, we we need to ask ourselves some really hard questions. You know, questions like, well, what kind of life have I lived thus far for God? How much time have I already lost? How much time have I wasted? What love have I abused and taken advantage of? What wrath have have I deserved myself? Are, Are we using talents that God has given us? Have I been true to the name of Jesus? Am I prepared to meet God? It's questions like that that we need to ask ourselves as we meditate upon our bed. And we're also to meditate upon God's word. Our next slide, Psalm 119.11. The Bible tells us to meditate. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We talked about that. In a previous psalm, it's really hard to meditate on God's Word if we don't have God's Word memorized. What are we going to think about? What are we going to mull over? How are we going to think about the things of God if we've not implanted them in our own minds? To to meditate, to, to mull it over, to ponder it. If you're not memorizing the Bible, then you have nothing to lay down at night and meditate upon. I've had this, this great privilege to, um, to disciple uh, an elderly couple who are new to the faith. And so what we're doing is we're, we're memorizing Scripture together. And so I'll give them a, a text, and it's a text I haven't memorized previously, and we'll study that separately through the week, and then when we come together, you know, we'll kind of quiz ourselves. And, uh, and speaking with them, uh, the wife, she said, you know, I, I've really been practicing uh, my verses. She said, I, I, I think about them right before I go to bed, and I say it to myself. She said, and then I go to sleep, and I wake up, and it's still on my mind. So I'll just say it again. She said, and then it just sticks with me, and all through the day, I just keep saying this verse. We've not even talked about meditating yet in our discipleship group. That's the power of the Spirit working in her life. She's meditating upon that. It's, it's stuck in her as she thinks about the things of God. And then look at our last phrase in line two of verse four. First, we were to meditate in our heart upon our own bed, and then we're told to be still. For some of us, that's really hard. Me and Whitney were talking this morning. I wish wish there were 28 hours in the day. I have so much stuff I need to do. And she said, it wouldn't help. She said, you would work 23 of them and sleep five said, you're right. We're just so busy. We just hurry. We're just inundated with stuff constantly. And I am convinced that that is one of Satan's strongholds. We're just inundated, constant, incessant, busy, busy, busy. And yet we're told to be still. Social media, it has its place. Music, it has its place. Podcasts, they have their place. Texting, it has its place. But how many times are all those taking the place of God? We're worrying about tomorrow. And God says, be still. Just stop. Be silenced. 
And really what, what it's saying is, don't give an excuse. When you're searching your heart, when, you, when God is revealing things to you that sins in your own lives, shortcomings, places you need to turn over to him, he says, just, just quit with it. Just be still. I don't need an excuse. I don't need your justification. I don't need your defense. He's saying, just, just hold your peace and wait. Just stop. Just stop. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. And I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. You know, I think that would be enough if we were to stop right there today. If we just went home and practiced what we've already learned. There's a famous evangelist. He said, we don't need revival in the church. He said, we need to close all the churches for six months and everybody needs to go home and practice what they already know. We know so much, but we practice so little. But let us press on. Verse 5. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Do right and trust God. Remember that song for when you were a kid? Trust in the Lord and do good. One of our kids weaponized that once. And another child was not doing what they were supposed to do. And they said, better trust than obey or you're going to get a spanking. <laughs> That's the Christian life, isn't it? Trust and obey. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Do what is right and trust in the Lord. Someone said, what, what do I need to do in this Christian life? It's very hard to figure out. I'm just not being fed. I'm not being discipled. I'm new to this. Maybe I'm old to this, and I've just never grown. It can be summarized in this. Do what's right and trust the Lord. Do what's right. Do the next right thing that is right in front of you. Do what the Word of God has shown you and trust Him. Leave it in His hands. May our life be a living sacrifice. A life that is holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, or is our worship, can be said. You know, it's not, it's not enough just to go through the, the motions of religion. There are, there are a lot of so-called moral people, and they have a very religious veneer or a very religious shell they may go to church, they may try to act like a Christian, they may say the right words, they may even serve and volunteer, and they may even go on mission trips. But with all of that, their heart is so far from God. God's not looking for people who are good at doing religious things. God's looking for men and women, boys and girls, that love Him and obey Him from the heart. Read verse 5 again with me. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Here's the whole gospel. That you would take the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as your righteousness, trusting in God. That, that's the thrust of it. 
offer right sacrifices. Ultimately, take Jesus as your sacrifice. Do you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Our slide in Hebrews 10, 3 through 4 says this. But in those sacrifices, talking about the sacrifices in the temple, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. In those sacrifices, there is a remainder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let me clear something up really quick for you. Maybe you have grown up just assuming. Maybe you were wrongly taught this. But there was, there was no animal sacrifice in the Old Covenant that could ever bring salvation. Not one. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says, ultimately what it did is it just reminded the people every year, yep, still a sinner. Yep, still a sinner. What was it doing? It was pointing forward to the Savior. It was pointing to the final, pure, total Lamb of God. Those in the Old Covenant, they looked forward to a Savior. That's how they were redeemed. And now we in the New Covenant, we look back to our Savior who has come. That's how we are redeemed. Christ has always been the only means, the only way of salvation. Look at line two, verse five. It says, and trust in the Lord. Trust is the assured reliance. It's this trust in God. It's this confident and complete dependency only in the Lord. And remember what I told you last week? It's not how strong your faith is, but it's the object of your faith, who you are trusting in. And we know ultimately God even gives us the faith to believe in him. What a gift. Trusting in the Lord is the only place of safety in this troubled world. Does God recognize you as one of his people? Can you be sure that God will hear you when you pray? Are you one of God's children this morning? Will he recognize you when you come running to him? Is he watching over you? And the good news is that you yourself can become a child of God through Christ. Our slide, John 1, 12 through 13 says this, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You can become a child of God this morning. Have you received him? Have you believed in his name? Have you been born again by God? Right now, you can become one of God's dearly beloved children by turning to Jesus. He died on the cross. He carried your sin and your guilt. He rose again to give you new life. And if you will turn to Jesus this morning in faith, you can know that God has set you apart for himself. God doesn't adopt you into his family because, well, because, you know, you deserve it or you're, you know, you're a pretty good fellow. But he adopts you into his family because Jesus died and he rose again for you. Read verse 6. For many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. He's saying this. Everybody is saying who's going to help us. Everybody's chatting. Everybody's running their mouth. Everybody's complaining. They're all getting on him. And they're saying, who is going to help us? 
They saying nothing's right anymore. Oh, that we might see some good. Can anything good come out of this? Who's going to help us? They're complaining, and in essence, this is really what they're saying. They're saying, man, I sure miss them good old days. I sure miss them good old days. But you've heard the quote about the good old days, haven't you? Good old days are really just the combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. <laughs> Sometimes them good old days weren't really all that good. We just kind of kind of dressed them up a little bit in our minds. And so everybody's complaining and everyone's questioning, is there anything good that's going to come to us? But what's David's response? What should our response be? Look at verse 6, line 2. He says, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Here's David's response. God, be near us. God, give us more of you. Oh, how guilty I stand. How guilty we stand. When we get distressed, is that our prayer? Oh, Lord, just give me more of you. I know we think. Man, if this, if this turn of event happened, that'd be real nice. Or if somebody would give me this, this, it'd work out better. Or if somebody would change who they were, if somebody did this different, oh, it'd, it'd really work out a whole lot better. But what does David say? He said, God, just be near us. God, just give me more of you. His eyes aren't even on what's going on around him. He just says, Lord, it's all crazy. Everyone's saying, is anything good going to come our way? And David just simply says, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, would you shine your face upon us? Oh, oh Lord, would you lift up your countenance upon us? Lord, I just need more of you. I just need your presence in my life. David, he's content with the favor of God. He, he has a very low view of the present good things in this life, but he rests in God alone. And he knows that nothing is more valuable than to have God's favor in his life. God's love for him is enough. The light of your face, O oh God, your, your countenance, God, it brings home to our hearts the sense of your great love for us. David knew what kind of good he wanted. It was the light of God's smile upon him. And really this statement, it comes from the, the priestly blessing. I'm going to read that to you. It's found in Numbers 6, 24 and 26. And you're going to hear the echoes of this. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Listen to this priestly blessing coming from Numbers. He says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you. And give you peace. That's David's prayer. Oh Lord, would you cause your face to shine upon me? Oh God, would you be near to me? Oh God, would your felt presence and love be shown into my heart? David reminds the people that God himself is the greatest blessing. To see God's face or, or to be in God's presence, it's the, the greatest good for any human being. And yet how many times have we settled for, for so many other things in the light of God's countenance. Nothing, nothing can compare to the overwhelming glory of beholding God. But so many people, they just live to get more stuff. They walk around this life with their eyes focused 
only on the here and now. We're, we're too easily distracted. We're too easily amused. We forget that God himself is the best and the most satisfying. We were made to love him. We were made to worship him. And nothing less than that will satisfy us. With God, this world is full of, of joy and it's full of wonder with him. God gives us the greatest thing. He doesn't just give us stuff, but he gives us himself. Knowing that, knowing God, that's where joy is. And so the worldly, they're, they're always saying, well, will you show us any good? They're never satisfied. I want more. What, what's the next best thing? Their hearts are, are always empty. They're always deluded. They, they invent all these false things. Their, their life is always in despair. But the true believer is not consumed with this world but is consumed with the world that is to come. God is infinitely more good. He's, he's infinitely more satisfying. He's more joyful than all this world has to offer. Look at verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. How many of us this morning, if we'd be honest, we'd say, you know, I'm, I'm a little down. I'm, I'm sad. Um, maybe I'm downcast, or maybe you're bothered. Maybe you're troubled. You're, you're worried. Maybe you're worried sick. You know, this, this time of year, it seems to bring that for some people. It, it gets dark earlier, and it's, it's cold, and, you know, people tend to get gloomy. And, uh, you know, for some, the holidays are very hard. You really get down during this time. But when is the last time? Has there ever been a time when you've prayed to God and you said, God, will you put gladness in my heart? God, would you put gladness in my heart? God, would you give me joy? And Lord, joy is based off truth and your truth never changes. What does David say here? He says, you have put gladness in in my heart. He didn't work it up in himself. He said, God put it there. Have we prayed that, Lord, if it be your will, oh, would you fill my heart with joy? Oh, Lord, would you fill me with gladness? That doesn't mean difficulties don't arise. That doesn't mean that we don't get sad. It doesn't mean that our emotions don't ebb and flow. But the gladness of God, it's, it's joy. It is sure and it is steady. It's a peace. It's a peace that the world doesn't understand. Look at line two. He says, you have put gladness in my heart, line two of verse seven, more than when their grain and their new wine abound. He brings it down to an earthly level where we can understand it. He says, I am happier than the farmer's biggest crop. I'm happier than the best things on this earth that money can buy. He, he's ultimately saying in human terms, God, you are better than the best food. God, you are better than my favorite restaurant. God, you are better than my favorite people. You're better than my best friends. Lord, you're even better than my loving family. Lord, you are better than the best party that I've ever been to. You're better than the biggest payday that I've ever had. He's saying Christ in the heart is better 
than corn in the barn or wine in the vat. Jesus, you are with me is a better statement than I sure got a lot of stuff. And if the pantry is empty and if the paycheck is small, can you say this? My life is full. My life is full of blessing. Jesus smiles upon me. Can you say that this morning? But if you have all this world, if you have everything this world has to offer, but you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And so David, he does not envy the wealthy. He's content with what he has. God's countenance is is beaming upon him. It's better than anything that this world can offer him. And you'll never have this undisturbed peace. You'll never have this solid joy until you know God. The child of God, they're okay with being deprived of worldly comfort if they know this, that God loves them. Look at verse 8. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. O Lord, would you give us this comfort this morning? Just like David, may we lie down in peace and sleep each night. Lord, your favor is better than life itself. God, you are our inheritance. God, you are our deepest and most fulfilling treasure. When you lie down at night, can you say this? Oh, my heart is at peace. My soul and my mind, there's this tranquility and this calmness. And notice who gives David this peace. Line two. Last line of verse eight. He says, for you alone, O Lord. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You alone, God, you give it to me. Nobody else can give it to me. And he doesn't say, well, you know, God helps me a little bit, or, or God's a really good assistant, or, you know, God does the majority of giving it to me. No, he says, but God, you make me. God, you do it. Lord, you cause me to dwell in safety. And dwelling means to live continuously. It's this ongoing, continuous safety. Oh God, don't let myself, don't let my sin, don't let Satan have any control over me. God, I am yours and you are mine. David is protected by the power of God. He enjoys this security. He enjoys this quietness. He's free from fear. He's free from worry. What a great blessing that is to not fear, to not worry. And only God can give that. Only God can give the peace of mind. It's a blessing from God and from God alone. There may appear on this earth to be no help for us. But in God's hands, we're kept in peace and we're kept in safety. Only God could cause David's fearful heart to to be calm and to know genuine peace. And that word there, peace, you've probably all heard it in the Hebrew, shalom. 
And it doesn't mean just there's no conflict, I'm at peace, I'm not at war, but it really means in its totality that there's this adequacy for life. It means that you have this confidence, this fullness of life, this total completeness, that you are content. God brings fullness of life. He brings contentment. And so I want to encourage you with that this morning. If you are a child of God, you're trusting Jesus as your Savior this morning, then you can lie down and you can sleep in peace tonight because your Savior, he loves you. We forget that sometimes. If you're God's child, he loves you. He really loves you. And he hears your prayers. He cares for you. He's delivered you before and he will deliver you again. David found that God was good to him. And God has been so good to us. These psalms, they're they're good for us today. But these psalms, they will mean so much more to us when the day of trouble arrives. Let's pray. Oh God, it is true that you have been so good to us. Oh, teach us to count our blessings. Give us faith to believe that you really do hear and answer our prayers. Oh Lord, you are our only hope. You are the giver of all good things. Lord, you know what is best and you know what we need. And God, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And we ask this according to your perfect will. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.